Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Coming to you from Michigan, USA. And listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bomb. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. This is your host, Sean Sparkman. I am really excited to be bringing somebody very unique to you today. Her name is Christy Seacrest, and Christy has an extremely unique story. And I don't want to spoil it for everybody because I want you to hear it from her, but this one is really worth a listen. So, Christy, thank you for being on the show today. Oh, thank you, Sean. I'm really excited to be here with you. Yeah, and I'm excited to have you on. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and your story? Well, what I do as a profession is, is I have a private business as a counselor and a life coach. And I've been doing this for almost 20 years. I have almost five grandchildren, which is really weird to say. <laughs> because I thought, <laughs> thinking, there's no way I'm that old. But I am, and that's okay. Actually, life just gets better, so it's all good. So I have almost five grandchildren. The The next one is actually due in four weeks. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we're we're pretty excited about it. It's I, I have to say it's probably the best role I've ever played in my life is being a grandparent. Well, that's pretty cool. What's uh, so special about being a grandparent compared to, say, being a parent? Well, the number one thing is I don't get to be the bad guy. <laughs> you know, yep. it's like I get to get messy with them. We get to play and have a great time, and, you know, I get to spoil them. And at the end of the day, they get to go home. <laughs> I think that's the same thing that every grandparent says. My parents say it to me all the time. <laughs> like, yep, you can have them back now. We, we got all the good times. <laughs> it's so fun. Like, really, it's because, I mean, as a parent, you're so busy being a parent that sometimes we don't get to play as much as we would want to. Well, as a grandparent, it's flipped. We don't have the responsibilities of being the parent, so we get to play. Well, that's and cool. And it's just delight. It's delightful. Really, yeah, I bet. Really and you know, and you you can tell you have like a lot of excitement and life about it, which is really cool. And I know because we've talked about your personal story a little bit of why that is. So why don't you tell people a little yeah. bit about what, what what you've been through and what makes you unique as not only a person, but also as, you know, a life coach. Okay. Well, the reason I got into counseling and life coaching is because in 2006, I was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And, you know, when you first hear the word cancer, I mean, immediately, if you've ever been told that, your first body reaction is, oh, I'm going to die. You know, so it's like immediately your whole life flashes before you, and it just really quickly puts everything into perspective. 
So as I, I went through cancer, the end result, I'll tell you the story, but the end result was all the little things I thought were important, I don't I just don't give a crap about anymore. I don't need the giant <laughs> house or the fancy cars or to have some big name or all this whoop de doo about my life. I don't care because my relationships and connections with people far exceed any tangible thing I could ever have or own or do. And that was probably one of the greatest takeaways was changing my perception on who I was as a person and why I was probably here in the first place. Because when you get a diagnosis like that, I mean, for a little while, I felt like I was literally looking at death in the face um, at some of the things the doctors were saying. So it's, it's rather frightening. So you, you change your perspective quickly. Yeah, I can only imagine. I've never had a, you know, a near-death experience like the kind that you've had, but I can only imagine what that must have felt like, and that has to change you as a person, right? Well, you've got two choices. You can either succumb to it and be a victim, or you have the choice to rise above it and say, okay, wait a minute here. I'm given an opportunity to learn something. I better open up my eyes before it's too late. Because whether you live or you die, in my opinion, it actually doesn't matter at that point because when if you were to pass on, what are you leaving behind? Who were you? What is your legacy? You know, what do you want to be remembered for? And I personally think that when I die, I'm not just going to be floating and meandering around in space. I think I've got, you know, someplace else to go. I think I get to move on and get to do something way better. Cool. And, and so – yeah, I mean, not everyone feels that way, and that's okay, and I respect it, eh, but I just happen to feel that way, and so death isn't super scary to me, but I knew if if I was going to die, I had two choices. I'm either going to fall prey to the diagnosis, or I'm going to choose to take a look at myself and say, all right, a minute, this might be my wake-up call, what is it? Um, and so that's really what propelled me into doing the work that I'm I'm now doing. That's really cool. And there's a part that I know because we spoke about this already, that when you did get that diagnosis, there were some other details that really prevented you from getting some of the treatments, right? I did. So it's a great story. It really is. I I really want people to hear it because it it really is an amazing story. Yeah, it's I'm actually very grateful. Every single cell in my body is grateful that I was blessed enough to have that opportunity because the day I was diagnosed with cancer, I came home and, you know, for a lot of women, chocolate makes everything better. So, of course, (laughs) I went to my my dumb dark chocolate stash and I opened up the first chocolate I grabbed. And the reason I like these is not only do they taste good, but you get a little message inside these wrappers. So I opened the wrapper and believe it or not, the wrapper said, be fearless. And I was like, what? And so I kind of put it down, didn't think much of it. And you, you know, you cry and you tell everybody what's going on. So what I decided to do with this diagnosis after going to the cancer treatment center, um, you know, they're telling you, you've got to do pretty aggressive chemotherapy and probably some rounds of radiation and then um, some drug therapy if we can make it that far. And uh, when they first told me those, you know, the protocol that they wanted to do, my first gut reaction was, oh, my gosh, you guys are all going to kill me. 
And the reason I thought that was because a year and a half prior to that diagnosis, I was in a black belt testing for Taekwondo. And when I finished my, my test and you get your black belt and the whole thing, I sat down and I was like, what the heck happened to me? And my knee had ballooned up huge. And I went, oh, wow. oh, that doesn't look good. Yeah, so <laughs> I went to the orthopedic and I obliterated my ACL. So I had knee reconstruction. You know, you have little screws and all these little things that they do in your knee. Well, they put you on painkillers. Well, there was Darvacet, Percocet, Lortab, and all three of the pain medications they gave me actually put me into shock, and I had to be rushed to the emergency room on three different occasions. And we really quickly realized I'm highly allergic to narcotics, so pain medication wasn't going to happen. And that's so, pretty unusual in itself, right, to be allergic to narcotics. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, so, but it was interesting that that happened before I was diagnosed with cancer because when I was diagnosed with cancer and I'm hearing the healing protocol that they had suggested, my gut instinct was, oh, gosh, I don't think I can do this because I know what happened to me just with knee surgery. Now you want to do stuff way more potent. And so, you know, I, I said, I tell you what, let me, let me think about this because it doesn't feel right. There's got to be another way. Well, quick little story. While I'm sitting up at the cancer treatment center and I'm making the decision whether or not to, you know, sign, whether or not I'm coming in in a couple days to get the Metaport put in and starting, you know, chemotherapy, I, I'm sitting there and I, I had a couple minutes before I said yes or no. And as I'm sitting there and I'm closing my eyes, I heard, I heard this little voice come in that said, hey, you're new here, aren't you? And I opened my eyes and I looked and there was this woman. She had made maybe be five foot two, lucky to weigh a hundred pounds. She was just skin and bones and had this adorable little do-rag on her head. And obviously you can tell that she had been through some treatments. And I'm like, what makes you think I'm new here? And she says, because you look happy and full of life. And I was thinking, hmm. what the heck is going on right now? And I looked at her and I said, well, why did you say that? She says, honey, I don't even know why I'm telling you, but I'm going to tell you. If you can find a different way, find a different way. And I buried my head. I I know. And I buried my head in my hands and I just sobbed. And then when I looked up, she was gone. And I said, okay, I don't understand what's going on, but I I have to trust this because I know what happened with the knee surgery. So I got up, went to the window, and I said to the lady, I said, you know what, tell the doctor I'll have to give him a call. I, I need to leave. And so I left the cancer treatment center, and I, I went home, and I spent a lot of time on my knees going, I need some help here. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. So a very long story short, what I felt like doing was I spent the next two weeks of my life from sunup to sundown at our medical school library that was only a few minutes from our house. And I studied what is cancer? What is a cancer cell? How does it get in your body? You know, how does it mutate? Um, I wanted to know about all the different types of treatments. I wanted to know what the heck was in my body and how do I get rid of it? So I studied, studied. After two long weeks, I, I called up the doctor and I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And, of course, they're like, what are you, crazy? You're at stage four. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. And I think, it, I know, but I'm going to die if I do it your way, too. So I said, <laughs> I tell you what, 
we've already done all the tests. We've done the scans. We know where it's at in my lymph nodes on my one arm. I have it on one of my lungs, and I've got this mass in my chest. Give me a little bit of time. Honey, you don't have time. I know, but just, just give me some time. So then I found an oncologist who happened to be way into Chinese medicine, and he, he understood what the medical route for oncology was, but he also had that, you know, that Eastern medicine background as well. And he was very supportive, and he said, I tell you what, why don't you try a couple of things which had to do with nutrition? So we did, and I tried some herbal supplements, and he said, I'm going to keep watching your scans. So about every four weeks, I want you to come in, let's do some scans. I'm like, great, let's do it. So for three months, what I did was I chose not to do the chemo or the radiation. So instead what I did was I went on a complete whole food diet. I only ate fruits. No, actually, let me cancel that. I did not eat fruit for actually six months. Because oh, that's when interesting. I yeah, it it really was because I understood that that sugar in any form, even in a natural form, actually is energy and food for a tumor. And I'm like, oh heck, no, I'm not going to feed those suckers. So I'm, I was like, <laughs> I just took on this attitude of I am going to cut off your food supply. So. I did not eat fruit, but I ate a lot of vegetables, um, organic, hormone-free chickens and fishes, uh, lots of beans. Anything that grew in the ground or on a tree or a plant, I pretty much ate it. Um, drank a lot of clean, filtered water, but it was more than just the nutrition. So then I started realizing as I was studying at the library that my thoughts, had a lot to do with how my body responded to uh, my environment, to situations, to relationships. So I started talking to a therapist who was well-versed in um, neuroscience and other, you know, healing methods, methods like um, visualizations and meditation. So I studied with her twice a week, and we 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 got control of, of my thinking patterns, you know, and I didn't realize consciously that we have thinking patterns and these thinking patterns are the words we say to ourselves, the way that we think, you know, affected my health. So when you're saying things like, I feel so stressed out, your body's going to respond in a stressed state. I feel tired. Immediately you start yawning and you feel like you need a nap. Well, she taught me the value of understanding how my thoughts are affecting my physical body. So we worked on my language, my thoughts, the way I'm talking to myself. And then we started working on my emotional states. How did I respond to people, events of my past? What was my self-perception? So then basically I just started cleaning house, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I was just cleaning it all out. Anything I thought I knew who Christy was. I had to just wipe the slate clean and start over. And what was miraculous about this type of healing protocol was it wasn't about the cancer anymore because the cancer in my mind wasn't just a physical symptom. It was, holy cow, Christy, wake up and realize that you did some of this to yourself. You limited yourself in what you believed about your, your potential and your worth, which was true because I was in a relationship that was not healthy. And I believed that I was the bad person that I kept being told that I was, and there was always something wrong with me. Well, after a while, your physical body starts to take on 
the beliefs that you keep telling it. Yeah, and that so makes sense. It, it's amazing what I learned by, by going through all this. So after three months, we did some more scans, and the spot on my lung was gone. After, after the three-month scan, also, the spots that were all the hot spots in my lymph nodes on my one arm were gone. And so then we did another scan at four months, and what we noticed was they couldn't find any hot spots lighting up in the body. The only thing that that was detectable on some of these CT scans was this, the mass that was in my chest. So the doctor said, keep, keep whatever you're doing, just keep on doing it. So I continued this protocol of the physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, cleaning house and getting my own, you know, life in order just in case. And it was, it was really quite an adventure because I actually, for the first time, was starting to like who was looking at me in the mirror. And I was in better health and better shape than I was before the cancer diagnosis with cancer in my body, as, ma- as amazing as that might sound. I was <laughs> yeah, that, that is amazing. Yeah, that's cool. I had cancer in my body, but I was in the best health of my life. I mean, like, really, <laughs> I really was. It, was. it was great. Well, at the end of eight months of doing this whole thing, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I kept hearing this doctor's name, and I'm like, I don't want to call that doctor. I know who he is. He's a... He's a breast surgeon. I know what he does. And I refused to give this guy a call. Well, for two weeks, it nagged and nagged and nagged me. And I called my oncologist. I'm like, I keep waking up. He says, if you're waking up with those thoughts, I want you to just give him a call and go from there. I'm like, okay, fine. So I give this doctor a call. And I said, here's the deal. Here's what's going on. I'm doing great. It's gone from my lungs. It's gone from my lip nodes. Do I really need to have the surgery? And he said, you know what? why don't you come in and just meet with me? And, of course, I fell for it. And I'm like, fine. So I went in and I met with him. And when I was done talking to him, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I knew that was the next step of what I was supposed to learn. I needed to have surgery. Well, what the surgery was was a bilateral mastectomy. And for a woman, removing your breast is horrifying because that's one of the things that makes you feminine. Right. And, you know, it's, it's it's a big deal. Yeah, and my so, my mother actually uh, went through that a few years ago. You know, it was scary for uh, for everybody involved, but she did have to have the double. And you know, yeah. thank God that <laughs> just like you, she's she's clean and healthy now, and you know, in better health than she was before, <laughs> which is amazing. I, it is, isn't it? But to yeah. hear something like that, like you know, here's what we would recommend. Yes, you eradicated it in the other parts of your body where it has spread, but there is still this mass. Um, We can choose to just remove the one, or you can choose to remove both. And I was like, I had this once. I'm not doing it again, just removing both. Well, of course, you know, me being a woman and thinking my physical body was what it was all about, you know, I I went in my, my closet and I just cried and cried and cried and mourned the loss of what was coming. And it hadn't even happened yet, but I was already mourning it. And for two weeks, I just, I cried my eyeballs out. And I finally said, okay, let's just do this and get this over with. So I had the surgery. And because my health was so fantastic before I even went into the surgery, um, the doctor actually had told my parents that that was the fastest 
most textbook precise surgery he has ever performed in his 40 years of doing surgery. Wow. And um, it, it was. It was amazing. But I think it had to do with the health that my body was already in and prepped before the surgery. So an hour after the surgery, I was awake walking around going, hey, can I go home? And they're like, what? No, get back in bed. You have to be here for another day. <laughs> Because I was feeling so good, you know? I'm like, yeah, right. so what? it is what it is. Let me move on with my life. So I stayed overnight, and I went home the next day. And, you know, you you begin your, your surgical, post-surgical protocol, which is every day you've got to change bandages, and you've got to clean out the drain tubes. And it's just not a fun thing to do. Well, for three weeks of doing this post-surgical protocol, you know, I dealt with it. I absolutely, positively refused to look in the mirror at myself. So showering was interesting. I would just close my eyes and just pretend (laughs) everything was normal. And the one day at the three-week mark, uh, I had my 12-year-old daughter and my 16-year-old daughter at the time in the bathroom helping me clean bandages and clean out the drain tubes. And my 12-year-old it says to me so profoundly, she says, Mom, why aren't you looking in the mirror? And I says, I don't want to see that. And she goes, Mom, it just looks like you have a couple of zippers on your chest. It's big whoop. And I'm like, I'm not looking. I am not looking until all the reconstruction is done. And you got to like, love Mom. the child perspective, though. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. I, and you would think it would help, but it did and it didn't all at the same time. And so she finally says, you know what, Mom, you need to just look and get it over with. So I said, fine, if I do, will you leave me alone? And my 16-year-old is like, Mom, if you get it over with, then the hardest part is over. I'm like, okay, fine. So I I took the bandages off, and I looked in the mirror, and I looked at myself, and I passed out on the floor. Wow. And because that's a weird sight to see, two zippers across your, your chest. Right. And my daughters helped me up and I'm I'm just sobbing and sobbing. And when I finally calmed down, they're like, Mom, you know, don't worry, it's okay, it's all fine. When I finally calmed down, again, this twelve year old someone was talking in her ear, I don't know. But she looked at me in the eyes and she says, I know it looks funny and I'm like, Yeah, thanks a lot. She's like, No, you don't get it. And I said, What do you mean? She goes, Mom you don't get it. You don't understand that even though it might look like that, you're still my mom. And I huh. looked at her like... That, that's profound. <laughs> right? That, that, I mean, that really is profound. Like, And that's what you have to love about children and the way that their their minds and their brains work is so different a lot of times than the way we function. And, and it's Absolutely. amazing that she could have that kind of perspective on what for you is, yeah. you know, one of the most traumatic, if not the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to you. Oh, yeah. And it was interesting because in that moment, something flipped. I, I don't know how to explain it other than I felt it in my body. I didn't just think it, but I literally felt like this wave of just whoosh, something happened. And I looked at her and I went, you're right. I am still your mom. She goes, Mom, I know your body might look different, but what's weirder is you're still my mom. You haven't changed. And I said, well, that's interesting. And because of that quick whoosh, I stopped for a minute, like time stood still, and I looked in the mirror, 
I saw my two daughters on either side of me, and I looked at the body in the mirror. But then I looked at my eyes in the mirror, and I started crying going, oh, my gosh, I remember you. I remember you, and I haven't seen you in a long time. Well, that day actually became the most pivotal shift of my entire life and probably the most profound thing that's ever happened to me because it was in that moment and every day since that I started saying, I remember you and I liked you back then. And every day since has been, you know, it was a growth process for a little while to say, I forgive you. I love you. I'm sorry I didn't care for you as I should have. And now I look in the mirror, you know, I'm 14 years later, not one hiccup, no ounce of anything. And I go for my scans and tests every year. I'm in perfect health and I haven't had an ounce of cancer that has been detectable, period. And so I've remained cancer free. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it, so, it is. And, but, but that, but that whole experience is what, I guess you could say it was really my wake-up call that that has caused me to do the work that I'm now doing. And I feel called to do it. And I could not have been doing what I'm doing had I not gone through all of it. The, the surgery was just the cherry on top of the whole experience because without it, I wouldn't have been forced to actually look at myself on a deeper level. And for all of it, I mean, I don't necessarily want to encourage everybody to go through what I did, no. But for me, it was the right thing for the reasons that I needed it to be. And I well, what a, what a profound moment, that moment in the mirror when you're looking at yourself and then you realize that you finally are actually looking at you and that you're seeing yeah. you again. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a really yeah, powerful it was. thing. Because, I mean, I think it people, was. myself included, everybody, they, they take for granted every day when you look at yourself in the mirror that, you know, you're you're there, right? But you're not really looking yeah. at who you are and appreciating it a lot yeah. of the time. And I think that's something that everybody goes through. Uh, you know, I, I know I have myself, and it, it's such an important thing to really take that moment. And it's tough when, for you, it took you know cancer and a surgery and all these traumatic yeah. things to happen to to find that, but you did. Mm -hmm. And now you're in a position where you're able to take all those experiences and you're able to serve other people by helping them through whatever they're going through. And that that's the, the best part of all, right? It really is. That's why I said, Sean, I wouldn't change a thing. Even the surgery, I wouldn't change a thing. I feel like in some ways it gave me my life back, but it gave it back to me with more meaning, more purpose, and more understanding of Christy isn't this body. Christy isn't a name or a past or a title. Christy was who I finally saw when I actually really looked at her in the mirror. Really. Didn't just see with my eyes. I saw through my eyes who was looking back. And I actually really like her. She's pretty cool. She's not perfect by any means, but she's pretty cool. And, and yeah, can, no, none of us are, though. I like her now. Yeah, I like her now. Flaws and everything. And the flaws actually are are, are my, I guess, my, my humility to remind me that I'm no better than anybody else. But I've learned some stuff. I want to help other people find it, too. They have it. They just forgot how to find it. So I'm going to help them remember how to find it. 
Yeah, that, that's an absolutely incredible story. And I, I want to talk a little bit about some some other things that will relate back to it in a way. And it's something that I ask every guest that I have on the show. And it's very important and near and dear to my heart. And I know in a way it is to you as well. And, and that's failure. I, I love to talk yeah. about failure <laughs> because you, you can't have success in life. And like you said, and you found out that success is relationships at the end of the day. You, you can have all the money, all the accolades, all the different things in the world, and those are good and they're tools, but they're not the true success, which is your relationships in That's life, right. your friends, your That's family, right. you know, your clients, whoever it may be that you come in contact with. How are you making an impact? And like you said, how are you being remembered? So yeah. what is something in your life that you want to share that you have failed at? Um, at times I have failed at being a good mom that listened. Um, I think I'm really, really good at it now. I'm not perfect. Um, but listening, really listening to your child instead of the, the candid answer of, nope, sorry, too bad. You can't because I said so. Um, I think in some ways I feel like I, I had failed when they were younger. Um, and that was kind of hard to swallow that pill when I had to take a look at myself and say, you know, I, I was a good mom, a really, really good mom, but I didn't always just listen. So in some ways I felt like I failed with that. Um, yeah, listening is so, so difficult. And it's funny that it, that it is because we hear things all the time, right? I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, everybody does it and like you'll be hearing something, but while you're hearing it, you're not really listening because you're sitting there thinking about how am I going to respond to this thing instead yeah. of internalizing it, digesting it, and then, you know, becoming part of what the other person's talking about. And that, yeah, and that difference is, is so present. important. Right, right. Yeah. It's about being present. And that's where I had failed sometimes was, I mean, I don't know about like you and your relationships, but it's not always easy to stay present because we have so many other things going on. We're thinking about so many other things and we forget to be right here in the right now and just, just be present. And sometimes I think as a parent, I had failed in that regard. Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, that present thing is so difficult, especially in today's day and age. I mean, I don't, we, we're not, I didn't <laughs> yeah. live through what it was like before cell phones, but you know, in today's yeah. day and age with the smartphone, it's, you know, it's just constant. And I, it's why, you know, I see these things on social media where it's like, you know, pictures of people in a room and everybody's on their phone. Right. And it, it, it's so just so sad. it's so hard to be present in, in this day and age. And it's so important it though, to just put it down and do it. And, uh, you know, it really creates those connections. And especially like this year, you know, with COVID and the social yeah. distancing and all the stuff that's going on, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, all this technology and all these things. And now we're still you know, almost more disconnected than we ever have been before. And so uh -huh. that, having that those moments of connection, I, I think it's just so important to come back to. Well, it's one of the greatest desires of the human soul is to have that connection. Yeah. And being present is kind of the doorway to allow you to do that. Yeah. That's and you feel the most fulfilled. Right. And I, I didn't mention this before when, when you and I started talking, but uh, I'm a martial artist. And if you've been listening to this show a while, you, you know that I've been doing martial arts for yeah. a very long time. And one yeah, of the I was really that, impressed. <laughs> thanks. Well, one of the things, though, that, it, you know, always draws me back to it and that I'll never stop training 
is because it forces you to be present. You, you can't not be. Oh and it, God, it takes yes. those times where you yeah. have to be centered and you have to be there. You can't be somewhere else. I mean, when somebody's yeah. throwing punches and kicks at you or they're trying to rip your arm off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't be thinking about anything else. Otherwise, you know, that happens to you. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. it doesn't have to be that extreme for those that are listening. <laughs> but just anything that you can do that'll that'll bring you into that present moment, I, I think it changes our lives and the way our brain chemistry works. It really does. I mean, when you think about, I mean, this is a whole topic all on its own, talking about the present moment, but when you're thinking about the past, you're thinking about it right now in the present moment. When you're thinking about the future, you're thinking about it right now in the present moment. And so sometimes we get stuck in the past or we get stuck in the future, but when you stop and actually look at it, it's the irony of it. Ah, I'm stuck in the past. I'm feeling all those emotions and crap I did, and I can't forgive myself, and I'm feeling horrible. I'm feeling stressed, feeling anxiety. But the whole thing is when you stop and you become present, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm thinking about it right here, right now. But right here, right now is where I have all the power. <laughs> That's amazing. So, I know. It's, it's kind of irony, but that was one of the biggest things I learned about in analyzing one of my failures was that I I, I wasn't more present as often as I, I wish I had been when they were little. Okay. So on the flip side of that, what is something that you have been successful at? Well, that's kind of a loaded question because then you have to kind of feel vulnerable to say, yeah, it's okay for me to pat myself on the back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I've been successful yeah, let's just be vulnerable. Okay. One of the failures I had was a failed marriage with my children's dad. But the success that came out of it was learning to unify as separated parents and being able to learn to love and co-parent these kids regardless of why we separated. And one of the successes I, I, I took from the divorce was, again, is that I was not defined by somebody else. And so as a counselor, what I've been able to do is since I've gone through it, and it was a, a rough, horrible, hard divorce. In fact, it was harder than going through cancer. But we're at such a good place now that the success of that, going through that, has allowed me to be a better counselor, um, has helped other people that are thinking about getting a divorce and how can I help them um, you know, pave that road ahead that looks better and brighter instead of saying, this is hard, let's just give up and go our separate ways. So I'd have to say one of the greatest successes that I have had is understanding divorce, what happens in divorce, and how to unify with that person and actually make it really good. He and I are great friends now, and it's wonderful. And I'd have to say that turned out to be one of my successes. Well, thank you for um, being vulnerable and sharing that because, that, 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 I mean, that's not, it's not an easy story to share. And I think that can, you know, help people that are listening. I don't know how, but <laughs> everybody's, yeah. it's funny, like, there, you know, there's so many stories throughout all of history. We got tons of books and movies and you never know how one story may affect one person versus another because somebody might pull something out of that, that, you know, somebody else would have yeah. got. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Now. 
the next, yeah, the, the next part, you know, last couple of things I want to talk about as we wrap up here, you know, which are important, is your program that you're releasing very soon here. And it's called Be yeah. Fearless. And I know it comes right right from all of your experiences. So why don't you tell people a little <laughs> yeah, bit? Yeah, it really does. Yeah, tell people a little bit about it and, you know, how it can impact them. Yes. Oh, I'd love to. So it's taken a year and a half, and what I've done is, because I am a a life coach and a counselor, I've taken all the things that I have learned as a result of of schooling, training, and mostly life experience, and created a program. I wanted more people to have access to the things that I've learned and the strategies and skills I've been able to help people do, because I don't believe you need to be in counseling year after year after year, but when you're given the right tools, just like teach a man to fish, and you can feed him for life. If you give him a fish, eh, you gave him a meal. But when you teach him how to fish, you've now given him the skills. And so I figured I've, I've got to be able to find a way to help teach people how to fish of sorts. And so I created this program with all sorts of tips, tools, tidbits, and skill sets that um, actually help us to learn to stop being afraid playing small, and ditching those old limiting beliefs that keep us in a box. And so it's broken up into 14 lessons, and they kind of go in different categories. Like the first several lessons have to do with your thinking patterns, your mindset, and to be aware of how you talk to yourself, how you talk to each other, what are those patterns, and how to change them. Then the next group goes into your emotions. Emotions are really fun once you understand them. But when you think about it, most people try to avoid feeling. So we numb out, we ignore, we get into uh, addictions and habits that are self-destructive as a way of numbing so we don't have to feel. But what we forget about emotions, particularly the uncomfortable ones, is when you learn to understand what they are, why they show up, what their messages are, and how you feel them in the body, it's no big deal. It's like, okay, right now I'm feeling anxiety and I'm feeling really stressed out. I know what that feels like in my body. But guess what? It's not going to kill you. And so those several lessons that have to do with our emotional states really give you the skills and tools to understand emotions, how to process with them, how to sit with them, how to actually become emotionally fit. That's really fun. I love that whole section. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. Yeah. I, have a, I have a cool story about that where uh, when I first started in college, I had this English teacher and he made us do this exercise. It was the strangest thing that I've ever seen a teacher do. When we, and it was the first day <laughs> yeah. of class and he, he came in and he said, uh, everybody, you know, put all your stuff away, and I just want you to sit there. And then he didn't say another word. <laughs> you know, I'm like, we all, we all kind of looked around it, at each other. That was it, just in silence. Yeah, well, we all kind of looked around at each other because that's all he said. And we're like, okay. So we just sat there for a little while, and he just sat there. And then finally he goes, okay, how'd that make you feel? You know, and then nobody really knew what to say or answer. And so he goes, you know – what I wanted you to experience was boredom. And he left it there for a minute. We all kind of chuckled. And he goes, you know, in in today's day and age, nobody wants to feel things anymore. They don't want to feel the emotions that they're experiencing. Boy, were you lucky to have a teacher (laughs) like that. I know. It was really cool. 
understanding. Yeah, and so, you know, his whole point was that we don't, you know, even take a moment to be okay with feeling something. Like He's like, you guys just wanted to reach for your cell phone or reach for something or do whatever yeah. just to avoid yeah. being bored for two seconds. He's like, it was 30 seconds yeah. that I let you guys sit there. He's like, so wow. it's, about, it's about learning how to be with, you know, who you are and your emotions. I know. And what's amazing is when you can really get a grip on feeling emotions, sitting with them, processing it, you can literally handle just about any situation that's thrown at you because you're going to feel something in just about any situation. But when you understand the feeling, you know how to deal with it. And it's really not a scary thing because feelings are not going to kill you. (laughs) Right. Even though it might feel like it. (laughs) Yeah, it might be painful, but the only reason it's painful. That was my bad funny joke of the day. Yeah, no, it was awesome. (laughs) Well, the only reason it doesn't feel good is because you're trying to resist it. But what you resist persists. So if you want it to stop, stop resisting it because it'll go away a lot quicker if you say, fine, I'm just going to sit in this for a little bit. It'll go away really quick. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's a... Yeah, it's a really fun section. And then the last section is really digging deep into who are you really? What is your path? What is your story? What did you learn from it? Um, Digging deeper to say, okay, who is that person looking at me in the mirror? He or she is not the person that you see in the mirror. But don't look with your eyes. Look through your eyes at what's really there, what's really deep in there. If you could get rid of all of the the shoulds, the shouldn'ts that pile up on you as a, a kid, you know, you should, you shouldn't, you should, you shouldn't. And all we do is we should all over ourselves as an adult. And it, it it's a pun. I'm throwing a pun out there, too. Uh, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's funny. But we do. We should all over ourselves as an adult. And what we end up doing is we stop seeing what's actually real because little kids you ever you ever watch your little kids when they're like i don't know a year or two years old before they start getting into whole feeling guilt and shame they yeah, well, i'm watching him right now my my son's not even two he turns <laughs> in december and uh, you know i joke because he's all extremes you know all the emotions all oh, the time yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's you know what? amazing to watch their self-concept is great because they don't know to be embarrassed about their hips are too big, their hair is too crazy, their lips aren't, you know, enough, their body doesn't look a certain way. They don't know to, to think that. Right. They don't know that, hey, my name is Calvin, and that's a bad name to have. You know, they 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 don't have that self-concept that I am bad because of the way I look, what I've done, where I've been, what my title is, what I do for a living. They do not have that self-concept to think that oh i'm bad they think they're awesome they love the smells that they make they love the sounds that their bodies make they're actually really (laughs) proud of it you know they dress themselves and they don't always match but boy are they proud of it look at me and and that's what we've lost yeah and so the last parts of this this Be Fearless program is to really get you to start digging deeper and going back and remembering who you really are instead of all the beliefs and rule sets that we've bought into from other people. And it's just, I'm really proud of the program. It's, they're fundamentals. It's kind of like if you're an athlete, a famous musician, an artist, anybody that is really, really great and professional at their craft, 
it's because they do the foundational fundamental skills over and over and over, and they've learned how to master those fundamentals. That's what makes them great. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, for those that are listening, if you're thinking about ever doing a, a program like Christie's or somebody else's, there's a ton of them out there, but I think this one's very special. But if you're afraid to get into them because of whatever you're experiencing in your mind, your body, just remember that all the most successful people that have ever existed have, go through parts where they do self-improvement. They, they're constantly yeah. trying to improve, reading books, whatever it may be. So I, I encourage you to take part in things like this and, you know, do it. And Amen. I've been actually reading a very interesting book recently. Uh, it's by Ray Dalio. It's called Principles. Uh, Ray Dalio is uh, a longtime investment uh, manager who has been very famous for a lot of different things that he's done. But the most impressive part about his book as I'm reading it is that when it's the whole thing is about principles, but it's about the way he thinks. And he's constantly mm -hmm. referring back to how do I improve my thinking? And, and it kind of struck yeah. me because you, you talked about how you went through a, a time in your life where you were doing that when you were going through, the, you know, the cancer treatments. And yeah. I, I thought that the most fascinating thing was that he purposely wanted to bring people into his life. And I, I, I guarantee he still does this, <laughs> that would challenge mm -hmm. his thinking on purpose. Oh, I love it. So that he could become better at thinking and better at making decisions. And, and it's really struck me because it's such a, a profound way of thinking that like his constant daily thing is like, how am I thinking and how do I make it better? <laughs> yeah, but and again, those are foundational skills. He's learning how to master those foundational skills, which is making him extremely awesome. Yeah. So for those of you that want to learn more about Christy and what she's doing, I'm going to include notes in the show notes. We're going to be able to go to those links. But uh, for those that are listening that aren't able to click on the show notes, Christy, can you tell them a little bit about where they can go to find you? Yes, you can find them a couple places. So um, you can go on to BeFearlessMastery.com. It's B-E-F-E-A-R-L-E-S-S, Mastery, M-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. You can go on to there. You can also go on to my Facebook page, which is, uh, I think it's facebook.befearlessmastery. I think that's what it is. <laughs> I hope that's what it we'll is. We'll have the link otherwise, in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you can, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Or you can just look up Christy Seacrest, K-R-I-S-T-I-E, Seacrest, S. E-C-R-I-S-T, um, on Facebook, and you can even find it there. Awesome. Now, there's just a couple more questions I want to ask you before we wrap it up. I ask every guest these two questions, uh, and this okay. one is my, fa my favorite one. What are you curious about? Oh, man, what am I not curious about? I am exceptionally curious about the human brain and why people behave the way that they behave. It's a good one. I know we have lots of answers, but boy, I, neuroscience has had me very, very curious a lot. Cool. And the last question is, uh, are there any questions that I should have asked you that I didn't ask? I don't think so. Cool. I thought this was really fun. I, I thought it was a lot of fun, it. too. <laughs> yeah. 
I love your insight. You're easy to talk to, and you bring up very revel- relevant topics and conversations that I think are really good for people right now. And you're just lighthearted. You're easy to talk to, and it feels good talking with you. Cool. I, I really enjoyed speaking with you as well. And, you know, obviously we'll continue a relationship beyond this, but, you know, I hope that for the people that are listening to this show that you really got something out of it. Cause I think what Christy's bringing to the world right now is very special and I hope that it really makes an impact on you. So thanks again for being on the show today, Christy. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. This has been another episode of the safe and sound podcast with Sean Sparkman, your host. We're always bringing you new people from across the country that can help make an impact on your life to help you build a safe and sound lifestyle so that you can go out and do the things that you want to do to have great relationships and fun and live a great life. So thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows... Contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.